0: Imagination is a great thing. Reality is sometimes better. Heaven right now for us all is both. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable We'll leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. This week, we look forward to celebrating Easter. We celebrate the time when Jesus died on the cross for our sin, when he was buried, when he was raised again on the third day, conquering sin and death. Jesus came and did exactly what he said he was going to do, and he proved he was exactly who he said he was when he was raised from the dead. Years ago, I was asked to play piano for a funeral at my church. It wasn't a large funeral, but it was a very, very sweet one. The family wanted some music beforehand, some music after, and a few special numbers in between. They wanted to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and Amazing Grace. They also wanted a special song sung that was particularly meaningful to the person they had come to celebrate that day. They asked a man in our church if he would sing it because he, and I quote, had a lovely voice, the voice of an angel. But I might be getting a little ahead of myself here. I'll come back to the story. For the last few episodes, we've been talking about Paul and the church that met in the city of Philippi. We began by looking at Paul's first visit to the city. We met Lydia when we read about Paul meeting with the women who had gathered down by the river to pray. We saw the power of God at work within Paul when he cast the demon out of the young girl who had been used and abused by her owners as a sideshow. We saw the anti-Semitism prevalent in the region when Luke and Timothy were left alone and Paul and Silas, the two Jewish men, were seized and dragged and brought before the authorities with false accusations. These false accusations led to a riot, which resulted in the eventual stripping and flogging and imprisonment of these two men. And then we saw how God used an earthquake to bring his good story of salvation to the jailer and his entire household. And we saw God at work, freeing Paul and Silas from their false imprisonment as well. We saw that a group of believers continued to meet at the home of Lydia, and so the church there was born. No doubt, as you look back, this would be a trip that these four men would definitely remember (laughs) and would maybe even want to write down, which Luke did, which is why we were able to read about this journey in Acts 16, right? These past two weeks... We've been reading the letter that Paul wrote to the people at Philippi ten years later while he was imprisoned in Rome some 800 miles away. He continues to remember them fondly. His letter doesn't include things like, Oh man, that earthquake though, right? Can you believe I sang through that? Or, Lydia, do you love having the church meet at your house? You're welcome. Or... Hey, jailer, it's good thing I was at the right place at the right time, yeah? He doesn't include things like that. Absolutely not. He doesn't talk about himself. No, instead, Paul writes words of encouragement to the people that he left behind 10 years later. While he's in prison, Paul is telling them that he remembered them and he was grateful for them and that he prayed for them. And then he begins to encourage them, knowing that they were concerned for him. They were concerned because they knew he was in prison in Rome. In fact, they had sent a bunch of gifts to him via a messenger named Epaphroditus. Now, Paul's imprisonment currently did not look the same as when he was in prison in Philippi. In Philippi, if you remember, he was in stocks, locked up, right? Tight security. Now, his imprisonment in Rome is a house arrest. The technology wasn't available yet to throw on an ankle bracelet to keep him contained. So instead, Paul was chained to a guard. The guards would switch out when the shift change would come in. This imprisonment wasn't exactly like three hots in a cot, though, either, because meals were not provided. These were the responsibility of the prisoner or for those who knew him. So Epaphroditus comes from Philippi, remember, 10 years after Paul had been with him, and he brought him gifts from the body, their gifts, provisions. Unfortunately, a little side note, while he was there, Epaphroditus ends up getting like super, super sick to the point where they thought he would maybe even die. But he didn't. He was healed. He got better. And now Paul writes a thank you card, a thank you note to the church at Philippi that he's asking Epaphroditus to bring back. He's like, they need to see you. They need to be encouraged because they see you're well. And please bring this letter with you, which Epaphroditus does. Now, interesting to picture this, Paul writes this and sends this thank you note with Epaphroditus to the church at Philippi. Now, when we get cards, sometimes we read some cutesy saying on the front, and we open it up, and there's a cutesy saying inside, and maybe a little Bible verse written on the left-hand side or something, right? Here, what Paul is writing, it's all Bible verses. (laughs) He doesn't even know this. He's writing a letter, but God has inspired him to write this, and we can read it today, which is super encouraging. So how does Paul encourage them? He writes, starting in chapter 1, verse 12, we are reading this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me, it's really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Don't worry, I'm imprisoned again, Paul's saying. It's being used. My imprisonment is being used to spread the good news about Jesus. And remember, that's Paul's biggest concern. Last week, we saw Paul pray that the people that made up the church at Philippi would know God more and that they would take in that knowledge and through the power of the Holy Spirit, turn it into discernment so that they would live lives pure, blameless, filled with righteousness so that God would be seen and glorified. Paul always wants God to get the glory that's due him always. And in his imprisonment, he was saying just that. So how is this happening? We just read that the whole palace guard was hearing the truth about Jesus. So was everyone else was, who was around Paul, right? Well, these guards who are chained to Paul are hearing Paul recite this very letter so it could be written down by Timothy. Perhaps Timothy read it back to him at various times. Is this what you mean? You know, Is this what you said? Can you repeat that phrase? Maybe not, but likely so. And this wasn't even the only set of scriptures that Paul wrote while he was in prison. He also wrote letters to the church at Ephesus, which we call the book of Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, which we call the book of Colossians. And the fourth letter Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome was to his friend, his friend named Philemon. So surprise, our book is called Philemon, which I, I just want to take a step just for a second away from Philippians, just for a quick second and talk about this book. It's not going to take long, but I, it's such a good story. Paul wrote this book. He was asking Philemon, he's writing a letter, asking Philemon to forgive his servant Anesimus. So who's Anesimus? Anesimus was Philemon's servant who'd run away from Philemon who lived in Rome. He ran away and somehow ended up meeting with Paul. Paul, of course, meets Onesimus, and what does he do? He shares the good news about Jesus, which is that Jesus came, he was sent from God, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins so we can be forgiven and, and live in the here and now and right relationship with God, and we can live in forever in heaven when we die. So, of course, Paul shares that good news with Onesimus, and Onesimus believes it to be true, and then he places his faith in Jesus. Now, Paul has this dilemma, right? He shared Christ with his runaway slave, this runaway slave who was a slave of his friend Philemon. So now Paul says to Onesimus, you need to go back. So he sends him back to Philemon, who's also a believer that like Lydia, he had a church meeting in his home. And Paul didn't want Onesimus to suffer the consequences that would be due him as a runaway servant. So in his letter, he's encouraging Philemon to accept Onesimus back with forgiveness and and to just see this as part of God's bigger work. I love verse 13 of Philemon, where Paul says this. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, he's writing to Philemon, perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back for good. I love the way he says separated you from you for a little while instead of run away. But why? He says, perhaps the reason is that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Onesimus is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul's encouraging. He's writing these encouraging words while he's in prison, but we need to get back to Philippians now and see what's going on there. We see the spread of the good news throughout the guard right? And everyone else who's there, what are they hearing? We talked about that. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and likely countless other letters and stories and teaching as well. And it's important for us to recognize that although Paul didn't choose or plan on imprisonment, I am guessing his preaching plan or schedule or travel itinerary or whatever was thwarted when he ended up being in prison. But God's plan was not. Because Paul was in prison, he couldn't go and visit the people, so he had to write them a letter. And because Paul had to write them a letter, we now have his letters included in our Bible. What a great plan that God had that Paul didn't see. Also, because of Paul's imprisonment, Those around him, it says, were emboldened and encouraged to speak courageously and fearlessly. Why is that? We don't know exactly, but we can imagine that Paul's example was an inspiration to others. Those who might have a tendency to fear the worst could see Paul handling this with grace that God was giving him, and maybe they were encouraged by that. Or... Perhaps people were being emboldened and strengthened to share the good news because they maybe had a burden for people to know the truth and then thought, wait a second, in Paul's absence, while Paul's in prison, who's else going to do it? Who's else? Who's else going to do it? (laughs) Who else is going to do it if not for me? If not me, who? If not now, when? They're asking themselves this question, and perhaps that's what was giving them the courage. Either way, whatever it was, Christ's good news was being spread, and Paul was rejoicing about this. He said that in verse 18. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, it'll turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, no matter what happens here, if I'm released and live, or if I continue to be imprisoned and live, I want my life to highlight Christ. He goes on and says, however, if I die, I want that too. I also want my death to highlight Christ. The next sentence he says is this, one that's probably familiar to a few of you. For me to live is Christ, but to die is Is gain. And that's the verse I want to think about a little bit more. Could I say that? Could you? First, can I echo for me to live is Christ? Is my sole reason for living to glorify God? Is Christ the center of my job, my opportunities, my relationships? Can I agree with Paul and say that if I'm living, it's so I can continue to proclaim Christ? Man, I want that to be true. But is it? Or what about the second half? To die is gain. Really? Paul certainly thought it was. He said, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between the two. Oh, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joining the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow. Paul had heaven in view. He didn't know what heaven was like. He didn't know what all went on there. He didn't know what heaven was like, but he knew Christ and he references death, references going to heaven with being with Christ. It's hard for us to imagine heaven, isn't it? Because we can't see it. We can only imagine, which brings me back to the story I started telling at the beginning of this podcast. Do you remember it? I was playing for a funeral. The man in our church was going to sing a special song. The man who had a lovely voice, the voice of an angel. The song he was asked to sing was a Mercy Me song written by Bart Millard entitled, I Can Only Imagine. My guess, I imagine, (laughs) is that there are a few of you who are familiar with this song. In fact, it received more attention recently when a movie based on the writing of the song came out, also called, I Can Only Imagine. If you're unfamiliar with it, though, the words, they go like this. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or... In awe of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. And then the chorus is repeated and so on. So, The funeral is set, the music is chosen, this man's going to sing this song, and I get a phone call from him wanting to get together to practice. So we did. The family was right. This man had a great voice. He wanted to do the song justice. He wanted to honor the family and the memory of their loved one as well. So because of that, we ran through the song a number of times, like a number of times. I started to think it was sufficient, but he wanted a little more practice, especially there was a couple parts that he was struggling to remember exactly how the melody went. So because of that, he recorded the piano part that I played with the intention to practice singing it as often as he needed to before we came to the funeral. And practice he did. We met about a half hour before the funeral started so we could rehearse it one final time and it went great. He said he was having no problem at all remembering that trouble spot anymore and showed me had marked his music to be sure it was sung correctly. So I went in and started playing the prelude. The family filed in, the pastor greeted everyone, they read a eulogy, we sang hymns, scripture was read, and the pastor preached. And as a final goodbye, the man, with the voice of an angel, approached the front of the sanctuary to begin the song. I started with the piano intro. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da Sorry, <laughs> I should have played the piano. Da-da-da. And he came in right as he should, with the right notes anyway. He begins... Remember how it begins? He begins. I can only remember what it will be like. I thought, did he say that? When I walk by your side. I can only remember, oh my goodness he did say that what my eyes will see, will he ever hear it when your face is before me, oh come on, Lord, I can only remember, so I now I started a duet, and I started in with I can only imagine at which point he was brought into present day, kind of shook up, heard himself more accurately. And then continued on in the song, imagining heaven rather than remembering remembering it. <laughs> I had a hard time. I did laugh. What am I say? I had a hard time not laughing. I did laugh. He's just saying this. I can remember. I can remember what it was like. He's like, oh, tell us more. Please tell us more. The family was super gracious. And as far as I know, never even said anything about it. He and I laughed about it for quite a while. I, obviously, I still am. And just in case he's not, I decided not to use his name. But... His mishap and Paul's longing for heaven got me thinking. Paul's longing to depart and be with Christ, that's better by far. He spoke with conviction. And yes, he didn't know what heaven was like, but he knew Christ. And he had this longing deeper than just imagination could supply. He was praying that the Philippians would know him too, would grow in their knowledge of him. He knew that living here was to serve him, and he was going to continue to do that faithfully. But dying meant he could be with him, and that's what he longed for. He was remembering that as he was writing to the church at Philippi. These words challenge me, and I pray they challenge you as we read them today in 2019. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I pray that we may know Christ so intimately that all that matters while we're here, our jobs, our relationships, our homes, our friends, our experiences, that this all would be enjoyed because of Christ and be focused on Christ as well. May we live with this confident faith, knowing that the Christ who saves is the Christ that transforms and is the Christ that will continue for eternity to be worshipped and praised and adored. May we all look ahead, especially this Easter week, as it's right in the front of our mind. May we all look ahead with great anticipation, knowing that someday we won't be imagining what it will be like to be with the one who knows us so intimately and loves us so perfectly and saves us so completely. We will no longer imagine, rather, we will know. Let's remember that.